0: It's July 1st today. Welcome to the Great Lakes Vegetable Producers Network. This is our live weekly roundtable discussion um, that we do around lunch break, where we talk about growing season issues in commercial vegetables um, across the Great Lakes and Midwest region. So this is every week, this is your first time joining us, we do it at 12.30 Eastern Time, 11.30 Central Time, every Wednesday, and we'll do this through May. We've been doing it since, um, or we've been doing it since May. We'll do it through September. Um, If you need CCA credits, those are available for today's episode. Um, So if you are a certified crop advisor and you want those credits, just write your name in the chat box, um, and we can follow up with you. So I'm one of your hosts today. I'm Natalie Hoidel from the University of Minnesota Extension. Uh, my co-host, Ben Worling, is from Michigan State Extension. And then we've got Mike Ranke in the background, um, also from MSU, as our Zoom engineer. So Ben, do you want to introduce what we're talking about today and who we've got with us?
1: Sure, I'd like to. And just a quick shout out, um, Natalie hosts her own podcast with the University of Minnesota.
0: What's killing my kids?
1: Um, I'd encourage you to tune in if you have it. Um, if you are a CCA or if you're a crop advisor, please make sure to include your email along with your name in the chat box. Um, and I'm really looking forward to today. I'm an entomologist and don't know a lot about Um, micronutrients. And so today's focus is going to be on boron. We're going to get elemental with boron. And our guests are Dr. Carl Rosen of the University of Minnesota and Dr. Dan Eagle. Um, Carl has spent a career working on fruit and vegetable fertility um, at the University of Minnesota. And Dan graciously agreed to join us. He's going to um, talk a little bit about how Um, fertility might affect disease development. Um, If you have questions that arise for Carl and Dan, we'd really encourage you to put them into the Q&A box um, because discussion is what makes this show um, really interesting. And upvote your favorite questions, and Carl and Dan will address them in the back half of the show.
0: All right. So... Boron is definitely the most specific we've got on this show. Usually, we're a little bit more big picture than talking about boron. Um, but Ben and I have both had some really interesting interactions with growers, um, just sort of learning about people using boron in interesting ways. And so we wanted to dive a little bit deeper and just learn more about this element and what it does, how it works, why it works, maybe what are its limitations. Um, so we're going to start with a question for Carl. Just kind of going to the basics. Can you just tell us what are some of the roles that boron plays in plant development? Um, And yeah, we have some follow-up questions, but let's just start there.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, boron uh, is attributed to a lot of direct and indirect roles in the plant. Um, And I do have to say that of the micronutrients, it's probably the least well understood in terms of (laughs) what's going on in the plants but it's associated with uh, things like uh, sugar transport, um, cell wall synthesis, cell wall structure, and lignification, uh, membrane permeability, so leakage of solutes and like that, Uh, carbohydrate metabolism, which is kind of related to sugar transport, but in terms of uh, breaking down starch to sugar or synthesizing starch from from sugar uh, is what we mean by carbohydrate metabolism. It's involved with uh, some growth regulators, uh, auxin in particular. It's involved with auxin metabolism. And it also plays a role with pollen uh, germination and pollen uh, tube growth. So those are some of the main um, attributes to to boron. Um, So you see it does play a pretty uh, significant role in the development and metabolism of plants. Dicots tend to have a higher boron requirement than uh, monocots. I uh, don't know exactly why, but you do tend to see higher levels of boron and dicots than monocots. So those are some of the things that I thought would be interesting for the group.
0: Yeah, so it's involved in all kinds of things.
2: All kinds of things. And then it may be direct or indirect. And it may be just something simple like its main role is cell wall synthesis. But if you don't have cell walls, it's going to start affecting a lot of other things down, down the line. So right. It, it's It's hard to really say, okay. as i said it, it's not it's not well understood
0: <laughs> yeah so as a follow up then there are a couple of crops that really are sensitive to boron, so like beets for example, or cauliflower. do you mm-hmm. have some insight on like why those specific crops are so much more yeah, sensitive
2: um, yeah again, uh, the reason is probably again not well understood, but um usually let's go over the symptoms, first of all, uh, for these crops. Usually you get a kind of a hollow heart or a black heart. Um, it's basically cell wall breakdown, cellular breakdown. And what ends up happening with boron deficiency is you tend to get accumulation of phenols in the area where there's boron deficiency occurring. And so that causes that the phenols oxidize and you get this blackening and that causes, causes that that black heart that you see with, particularly with beets and and with cauliflower um, and some of the other cold crops at times. Um, I I don't really know why those two are more sensitive than other crops, but it it could just be that it's, depending on where that tissue is, it's difficult for the tissue to be transported, uh, the boron to be transported to that particular tissue. And so you end up with a localized deficiency there um, when you see boron deficiency in beets and in cauliflower, unless you cut them, cut those that the plants open, you will not notice any boron deficiency. The, the leaves don't show any symptoms. Um, it's, it seems to be somewhat similar to calcium. You get these localized deficiencies, and um, it's just not able to uh, to provide the the, uh, the means for cell growth and 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 good production of that plant. So I don't know if I answered the question, but that's the best I could come up with.
0: Yeah,
1: that's great. Thanks. Um, Carl, I had a follow-up to that. You mentioned localized deficiencies, and that made me think of something I understand slightly better, the calcium, and how the calcium can be present in the soil, but it moves with the transpiration stream, Mm -hmm. and so the plant can't move it Quickly to areas of high demand when it's dry, especially. Yes. What 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 is boron like?
2: How does it? You know, uh, that's a good question, Ben. Uh, they're very similar in in their oh. way of transport. Um, huh. Uh, they move by mass flow, which means that they move with the water. Um, so transpiration is a very important um, mechanism for moving that that nutrient throughout the plant. And so calcium and boron deficiencies sometimes look very similar. Um, boron's a, a little bit different. Um, you know, back when I took mineral nutrition, uh, many years ago, we learned that boron was an immobile plant nutrient. That means that it's, once it's, um, in the, in that tissue, it's not going to be remobilized out. And so that means that the, the deficiency often occurs in the younger tissue, um, the younger growth, but we've now learn that some plants are able to mobilize boron not all but some are and it has to do with the uh, type of um, uh, sugars that are in the plant Uh, they you get these polyols that boron can attach to and can be in some plants can be remobilized but it 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 still doesn't uh explain the fact that you get these deficiencies in something like cauliflower where Where boron is supposedly remobilized, but it's just not able to get to that tissue for some reason.
1: Well, Carl, I wanted to move back a step um, into the soil. Um, Even as an entomologist, I know a little bit about how some macronutrients like nitrogen um, interact with soil particles and a little bit about its dynamics. But uh, boron is a little less familiar, and I wonder what what are its dynamics like compared to you know the NPK that we know a little sure. bit. More
2: well, about. you know most of our essential uh, elements or nutrients um, are ionic in nature. They that means they either have a positive or negative charge. Boron is actually associated with oxygen and hydrogen, and so the molecule that boron is associated with is actually neutral. Uh, so it's a, a neutral molecule. With no, with no charge under most pH conditions. For real high pH conditions, it can be negative, but you've got to be up and above 8 for that to happen. But for normal pH conditions, are uh, the boron is considered a neutral-type molecule. It's taken up as a neutral molecule. Um, and so, therefore, uh, in, in terms of the di- dynamics of the soil, it, is, it can be considered highly leachable. So you're not going to be uh, attracted to a lot of the uh, particles, uh, soil particles, the cation exchange, for example. It's not going to be an important role in boron, um, keeping boron in the soil. So if you have a lot of rainfall, boron can leach. So that's, that's very similar to maybe nitrate, for example, because that leach is not attracted to particles either because of the negative charge and doesn't form any compounds. So that leaches. So boron similar to nitrogen from that st- nitrate standpoint. Um, let's see what else can I tell you about Um, uh, so dry soils for example, because it moves by mass flow with water you might tend to see more deficiency in drier soils Uh, so sandy low organic matter soils are the ones where you're going to see deficiency because it does move and leach in those soils Um, organic matter does contain some boron so as it breaks down you will get some boron uh, associated with that breakdown so High organic matter soils, you see, tend to see less problems with boron deficiency. Um, True deficiencies are really the sandy or low organic matter soil, and mainly because they don't have a lot, plus they're susceptible to leaching.
1: I, I had one last question to that. You addressed a lot of what, um, what can lead to boron losses in the soil, or your, the main factor, leaching. Um, is there anything else? You, you mentioned pH. Are there any other factors that yeah. make it inaccessible to plants?
2: Well, as the pH gets really high, you will tend to have um, lower availability. So that tends to be the, the high pH conditions. But overall, under the conditions where plants thrive best, um, neutral, slightly acid, slightly alkaline, boron's um, fairly available under those conditions. It's only when you get to the extremes where, you, where you'll see issues.
1: Interesting. So it's less maybe pH sensitive than like manganese.
2: Or- oh, much much less. Yeah, oh. much less. Um, Interesting. Something like iron, manganese. Those will you know once you get up above uh, seven four or so, you're going to see issues. And depending on the crop, um, if you're growing an acid loving, issues at even lower lower uh, pH levels. So, Interesting. But yeah, boron is not as affected by pH as some of the other micronutrients just mentioned.
0: All right. So that was a really, really good kind of overview of how boron works. Thank you for that. Uh, What we're going to do now is pivot a little bit and just give a couple of scenarios, I guess, or situations, ways that we see boron being used. Um, And we're just curious to hear from the two of you kind of why boron might be working or helping in these situations. um, And then maybe what the limits would be. Um, So, The first scenario, and I guess this is more directed at Dan, um, so I know a couple of growers who um, are really excited about boron for disease prevention, specifically in the kind of broader amaranth family, so in beets, um, spinach, in those crops where they have um, like Cercospora, for example. It seems like adding boron just really anecdotally um, really helps in those scenarios. And so I'm curious if you have any insight on that, and then just more broadly, I know that's a very specific question, if you could just talk a little bit more about kind of the, the interaction between having balanced nutrients and how that corresponds to plant disease. You know, there's this kind of overall assumption that, like, healthy plants are more tolerant to diseases. We, of course, see very healthy plants get diseases, too. Um, so that kind of dynamic would also be interesting to hear about.
3: Um, so as we were kind of warming up, uh, we were talking amongst ourselves, and it, and it sounds like uh, some of the people, uh, some of our co-organizers and, and the leaders here, uh, perhaps know more about this than, than I have. But when, but when I was asked to talk about this, I started, I started uh, looking at just kind of nu- nutritional. Uh, nutrition and disease and how they interact in general, and I didn't understand until more recently that it was boron and Cercospora that, that we, we were really concentrated on. Um, and I really have, have come up with pretty much a zero on uh, boron and Circospora, but it sounds like there's somebody at Mission State working on that, but I, I didn't find those publications. I found one publication out of the uh, Egyptian Journal of Phytopathology, Influence of spraying two borate compounds and controlling Cercospor leaf spot and productivity of sugar beet. Um, and he was, uh, he was able to uh, control it, but I was really surprised that I couldn't find more on Cercospor on sugar beet, uh, considering uh, the anecdotal information that you've seen, and apparently there's somebody at Michigan State working on that. Now, there, there are some papers about uh, boron and other diseases, um, so everything from late blight and early blight, uh, anthracnose on mangoes, uh, and things like that. But the the evidence is, and the and the research is is kind of spotty, hit and miss. Um, so I just just knowing on, on a kind of a three day lead time, uh, uh, it, it would be difficult for me to say yes, you know, you, use boron for uh, disease control or, or no, don't. Uh, what I would suggest is, and I I, was down, I downloaded a, a label of a, of a boron product, and I figured there's lots of them out there, but what you have to be careful of is, I think the first thing you want to aim for, and Carl can jump in here, but I think the first thing you want to aim for is adding uh, boron in a way that it is... Um, uh, good for that, for that plant's nutrition. So for, for spinach and for, for, for beet or whatever else you're growing, you want a soil test, you want to do uh, perhaps foliar test and make sure that, that boron in there or anything else is, is adequate. Um, but I think there's very few circumstances where you'd want to purposely uh, make something deficient in, in an element or, 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 or go to excess. Uh there are a few instances in literature you can find of this or that which uh can be kind of a uh plus or minus but but they're so spotty I've even found some instances where uh if, for this crop uh uh if you if you increase this uh then it it might cause this disease to be less but then it'll cause this other disease to be more <laughs> so um like I guess say Carl, you can jump in but I think the first thing to do is is to Make sure you're adding, adding that. And you want to, of course, use that boron product, whatever it is, according to the label. Uh, but I see very few instances where you would want to use boron uh, in excess to control a disease.
2: And uh, the other thing is uh, boron, uh, unlike a lot of elements uh, plants can tolerate, um, you know, a little bit of excess, but there are some plants that are very sensitive to boron. And if you put too much on, um, uh, you'll run into toxicity. And um, as I said, some plants are more sensitive, things like uh, beans or snap beans or peas, some of those legumes. You have uh, spray enough boron on for something like a sugar beet, which is very tolerant of uh, boron, and then you try the same thing for beans or peas, you'll get toxicity in, in the beans and peas. So you need to, there's a fine line between sufficiency and deficiency, and sufficiency and deficiency, deficiency. And toxicity. So yeah,
0: that was actually going to be the last scenario. So maybe we can jump to that and then come back to your scenario, Ben. But um, this is not super common, but I've seen once or twice um, growers actually using boron at toxic levels for weed control, like of Canada mm-hmm. thistle, for example. Right. And I think it comes from the book "When Weeds Talk," which we could we could talk a lot about that <laughs> book. Um, but I just thought that was interesting, this idea of like intentionally creating toxicity in your soil for weed management. Um, and Carl, I know you said boron leaches quite a bit, but I'm kind of curious, like if you're doing uh, something yeah, like I that, mean, what are the long-term implications?
2: Well, it, it will leach. Um, in fact, if we, you know, a lot of times we have growers that are using boron and they do some miscalculation. Instead of putting one pound on per acre, they'll put 10 pounds on. And then you will get toxicity. Um, And if it's in a situation where it's sandier soil and you have irrigation, you can just irrigate it and that boron will leach out and then plants will recover. But if you're not, if you don't have irrigation and if you're in a heavier soil, that boron's gonna stay there and it will cause toxicity and and yield loss. Um, So you do need to be careful. Um, Boron uh, at high levels does act like an herbicide um, you get leaf cupping. Uh, you'll also get a lot of leaf singeing due to the uh, toxicity. Um, you will kill plants at high enough, le- uh, at high enough levels. Um, it's a- actually been recommended um, in, rec- I don't know if recommended is the right word, but in, in lawns, for example, um, something like Creeping Charlie. Um, creeping Charlie is much more sensitive to boron toxicity than grasses are and so if you if you spray the boron on you'll you'll suppress the creeping charlie and the the grasses will take over doesn't kill the creeping charlie so it will come back again doesn't kill the roots but it does suppress and suppress the tops and the the grass can will look better for a while but if you keep on doing it eventually the boron and depending on your soil if it's a heavier soil finer textured soil it will accumulate and Eventually, you might get toxicity in the grass because it will be toxic to, to monocots and grasses as well. It just takes a little bit more. So that's why you can get that differential. I'm not sure with Canadian thistle, um, if that's your only weed and there's nothing else growing in there, you can probably kill it using boron. But if you have other plants and you want to plant something or grow something after the Canadian thistle, I'd be a little concerned about it.
0: Yeah, probably some more specific tools. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> Right.
0: So we've got about five minutes. Um, Ben, let's go to your final case study, and then we can move into questions from the audience. And
1: Natalie. Really interesting stuff. Um, So Carl, um, I serve uh, um, some some sizable um, cucurbit growers. We have a processing industry in West Michigan. One of the processing crops that's grown is zucchini, and of course that's grown by everybody from gardeners to market growers to larger scale growers. Um, fruit development is really rapid and there's multiple fruit sets. Um, there are times during the season when we have um, some, some problems with fruit development and um, in an effort to improve fruit quality, some of our growers will apply calcium and boron. Um, and we do know that boron has a role in pollination. So I was wondering, um, when can boron be helpful for fruiting vegetables like zucchini or tomato, and and what are its limitations for that use?
2: Sure, yeah. So we do know that boron is is there's a higher requirement for boron for pollen tube growth and for some of the uh, reproductive structures of uh, plants. So there is a we do know that there is a higher boron, rate. and sometimes you will see that. Like like I mentioned before, you'll see. Uh, deficiency in um, cauliflower, but the vegetative growth will look fine. The same thing with, that could, will also happen with, with some of the, um, the pollination. Uh, the, the vegetative growth looks good, but you still might have some pollination problems. And some cases, not all, if you apply boron, it, it may help that pollination and you'll get better uh, fruit set, for example. Um, having said that, Um, pollination problems are due to, can be due to a wide range of different things. So it may not be a boron deficiency in that particular case. We do know, and I've looked in some of the literature, um, and this is probably more in fruit trees than in vegetable crops, but that you can get better pollination of some fruit trees like almonds, for example, by spraying boron on and you'll get better fruit set even when the tissue levels of boron uh, show adequate levels. And that's been reported in the literature in in well-respected journals. Why this is happening? Um, I don't think there's a, a real good reason except for the fact that we do know that uh, higher levels of boron are needed in those specific tissues. And maybe it's difficult. Maybe Maybe it's been drier or there's some other environmental condition that's making it difficult for that boron to get to the, the tissue at that time. But I don't think you can say all pollination problems are due to a boron deficiency. It's just that we know that it is associated with boron deficiency. I guess that's about all I can say at this time. Oh thank you, Carol.
0: Yeah, that's great. Actually the we have a listener submitted question that I think is very relevant. Um, so anonymous attendee is wondering Um, What your take is on foliar feeding specifically um, versus, like, probably at plant soil application?
2: Well, um, it depends on the crop. Um, Remember that, uh, you know, so if if it is a pollination problem, foliar is going to be probably a way to overcome that. Um, But again... You know, I am just always hesitant with boron, just because there is that fine line of sufficiency toxicity, and there is a tendency that you can overdo it, especially if you do a miscalculation. Um, the the one thing about foliar is that you are getting it onto the tissue, and if you put it on preplant, for example, in the soil, you're on a fine or a coarser textured soil, sandy or soil, you can have leaching. So, um, you know, foliar will be able be a a mechanism for getting that on when soil applications have have failed due due to leaching.
0: Yeah, if I could actually add something, too. um, I know when growers were asking about this, I did some research and looked at um, a couple of papers looking at application rates at plant versus foliar feeding um, and got similar yield results from a much lower rate of foliar feeding compared to what you had to apply up front.
2: Yeah, so our normal recommendation for a soil application is probably anywhere from one to two pounds, maybe a little bit higher on some of the, um, the coal crops that cauliflower um, maybe go up to three, three pounds but per acre. Um, foliar, on the other hand, we're like at a tenth of a pound, probably where you want to be. And if you go a lot higher than that, you're, you're going to get toxicity as okay. a foliar application. Just
0: so, is that also sure. kind of a way to? So, I guess too much foliar can result in immediate toxicity, but also maybe a foliar feeding is a way to kind of reduce the accumulation of. Yeah, right. So in the you, soil? Yeah,
2: as long as you're using lower amounts, you don't want to okay. use the, the soil recommendation for a foliar because you will get toxic. Okay.
0: So, that actually leads us perfectly into the next question from another anonymous person. Um, I'm hearing of more potato growers using foliar applied boron to slow down the crop and kill and, and top kill.
2: Oh yeah. Um, do you have it,
0: experience with that? What's yeah, the mechanism? I do. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah. Uh, we we tried that for two years. Um, we put on what we would say toxic or toxic levels of, um, of uh, boron and we got good boron toxicity symptoms. It did slow the crop down. It actually we put it on closer to where we would say you would vine kill so um, it uh, it does work that way Um, however we did find that depending on when you put it on if you put it on too early um, you'll get a yield depression so it did affect the yield negatively with those high levels so you got to be very careful we also thought that the boron in some way might enhance red color, and we didn't see any enhancement of red color with higher levels of boron. So we couldn't say that. We we just really didn't see any <laughs> any real benefits of using that over other products that you would just kill the uh, plant. But it will slow it down for sure, but you will probably negatively affect yield if you start it too early.
1: Um, Natalie, it looks like we have a question from one of our, our panelists too. Um, so, I know that this is encountered sometimes with, um, smaller growers, um, um, who, you know, Borax, Borax is available right at the local store. Um, so the question was, um, what do you think about using store, store brought Borax? And yeah, that was the first question.
2: Well, I, it's Borax, Borax is Borax. And whether you get it in a 50 pound bag or in a, you know, pharmacy or wherever you get it, um, it's going to be the same chemically. Um, I I'm not sure what the cost is, but I suspect that you pay more at at a uh, a grocery store or wherever you're going to buy it versus a uh, a uh, fertilizer dealer or something like that. But I I guess just compare the prices. But it's going to be just as effective um, regardless of where you, where you get it. because borax is borax.
0: So. I spent a couple of years working with the Pesticide Safety Program, and I know if you were doing something like that with a pesticide, that would be very illegal. Is that, <laughs> not, as true, is that not true with fertilizers?
2: Well, it, this is, we're not using it as a pesticide. It's, it's, right. uh, it's a nutrient source, so we don't have those yes. kinds of regulations for nutrients okay. that, I, that I know of. Okay. Um, yeah, so you can, you can buy yeah, a, a lot of things that have nitrogen in it, that might be used like ammonia, for example. Um, you can use that as a nitrogen source.
0: And mm-hmm. okay.
2: Not that I recommend using it, but you can <laughs> but Theoretically. You can. Theoretically, you can.
0: Okay,
1: <laughs> um, Natalie, the other question from our panelist was, oh, should a surfactant be paired with a foliar application of boron?
2: Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, generally, uh, if you want the um, whatever you're spraying to get into the uh the leaf itself having a surfactant there which basically spreads out the water better you'll get better penetration into that leaf with the surfactant um one thing that you need to worry about surfactants is it does break down some of the wax wax waxy cuticles and so if you have a lot of sunshine or something when you're spraying you can get some some toxicity just from that not the boron or the nutrient but just the fact that your cuticle is breaking down a little bit so you need to be a little careful there i don't know dan might have some because i know that you, you use with pesticides you're using using some well with,
3: with pesticides of course what, what you want to do is you want to spread that drop out so you get better coverage of, of the pesticide but i'm i'm sure what you're saying is, is true you'd have um if you want to get that that nutrient that nutrient know? in, in, in the, in the cell. And I, I, if it's a droplets hanging on the leaf, that wouldn't be as good. You know, when you say that I start thinking about, Oh, sometimes like a chlorothalonil spray and sometimes cause a little phyto. And I'm all, first thing I thought of was that. And I wonder if, if something in some cases, if that's, if they left the surfactant out, they get less phyto with the, it's interesting. It might.
0: <laughs> so we, it looks like we don't have any questions, so keep adding questions if you think of them. Um, I thought maybe we could back up just a little bit and go back um, to Dan, uh, and just kind of—I'm curious to hear th- your thoughts on this broader question of like how related are nutrient deficiencies and disease? Like, is this assumption that like healthier plants that have all the nutrients they need will automatically be more tolerant, or is that—I guess—how do you how do you answer? That? That assumption when people bring it up?
3: So I think in general, that's true. If, if, if you have a healthy plant, uh, it, it's more likely that uh, it's going to be able to ward off disease. Uh, and I think for, for most of us, specialists included, I, I think that's probably somewhere to start. If you start digging in the literature, um, you, you'll find papers that, that will talk about both, okay, a deficiency in this nutrient will cause something to be more susceptible, but you'll find the opposite too. Like for example, uh, with, with some nitrogen sources, high nitrogen will be good for something, you know, cause uh, uh, a plant to be more uh, susceptible to a bacteria. Um, but but, it, but it, if there's so many exceptions, if, ands, and buts, I think probably the safest thing and the easiest thing to do is just to make sure that that plant has adequate, uh, not, not deficient, but, but also not excess, which, is, I know, it's a, it, it's hard to aim for that. You're, that's what you're aiming for, but it's hard to hit that exactly. But, but I think it's easier to do that than, than to try to think. Well, let's see if I uh, try to add too much of this or too little of that. Well, you know, am I going to hit this disease or that disease? Because I mean, there's so many there are so many exceptions uh, and, and different things uh, that uh, you think you drive, you drive yourself crazy trying to hit all of those. It, it, so, as a, oh, go ahead. One of, the, one of the interesting things that, that I found was there's even like um, different uh, nitrogen sources will, will uh, uh, affect diseases plus or minus this way or that way. So, so for example, um, if, if you add nitrogen source, it may affect uh, and exasperate this disease or, or, or ammonia may ha- exasperate this disease. So um, you can really kind of, uh, excuse my pun, but get down in the weeds and that kind of stuff.
0: So just as a really quick follow-up, it looks like there's another question, but on this topic of like getting just the right amount, um, I think most growers probably just do their basic soil test every year. How often would you recommend um, getting additional tests for boron or micronutrients just to make sure that those things are in balance?
2: Yeah. Well, so since boron leaches, um, probably uh, a test, uh, you know, at least yearly or every other year would be good. Um, uh, the other the other uh, comment I could make is that if you're on a very sandy low organic matter, matter soil your boron test is going to come back low every year um, regardless so it's just going to confirm that you probably need to add some boron uh, under those conditions but it doesn't hurt to have the extra you know information so that you're not over applying it if for some reason there is some accumulation going I don't want it to you
3: don't want to be over applying boron
0: okay so we have another audience. Oh, do you want to follow up?
3: Well, I was just going to say, I, I think a lot of our cucurbit and, and tomato growers, uh, it, it's not a, a untypical, not for boron, but just in general to not only do a soil test, but do several times during the season, a foliar test to try and yeah. kind of try to keep up with this as as you go along. Right.
2: Yeah. And that's good for a lot of nutrients. Sometimes that doesn't work as well for boron and calcium because it's certain areas of the the, that crop that are showing it's kind of more of a, a localized deficiency and may not be picked up in the in the leaves, but things like NPK for sure um, foliar uh, analysis to. So that's a good
0: bridge to this question. <laughs> okay. Um, so the question is, Carl, are you familiar with boron recommendations in plant tissue tests from various labs? I ran into a situation um, that. The test basically said there was a boron deficiency, um, Mm -hmm. but in a plant where it wasn't very sensitive to boron and she didn't notice any symptoms, the plants looked healthy. Um, So should we question the adequacy range? (laughs) Um, Or should we do anything if the plants look okay, but the test comes back saying that there's a
2: deficiency? I I suppose it depends on the crop. Um, You know, if you have a deficiency, say, in... um, uh, cauliflower, for example, um, the plant's going to look really good until you cut it open and you'll see the hollow heart part. So it really depends on the crop. Um, but, you know, like everything, the the levels that are reported for sufficiency and deficiency um, are somewhat, you know, up to interpretation at times. So without knowing the specific uh, situation it's hard for me to to say but um i i think that you know you might want to uh look at some others look at a number of sources and and see what the levels actually are and 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 then uh, make a decision from there and again depending on what the crop is too um if it's a boron responsive crop like cauliflower if it's on in that range you know i would definitely put some boron on that but if it's a crop like let's say uh snap beans, which really doesn't respond to boron very much, then probably, and even cucumbers are kind of low responders to boron, although this whole thing with, you know, pollination has gotten me, I, I don't have a lot of experience with the pollination part with cucumbers specific or other um, a squash type ones, so there could be something there, I'm just not.
0: Yeah, and actually, um, we I just did an interview with Brent Loy about pollination in cucumbers and asked him this question and he seemed to think that boron wouldn't have any effect that it is more about temperature and humidity and just basic plant physiology and when pollinators are out unless you have a deficiency so
2: yeah 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 i mean if you go in the literature there are some cases and it's not with squash or cucumbers it's mostly with fruit trees that you will see a response to pollination even with adequate levels in your leaves but um whether that translates to vegetable crops is an open question. And probably, as, as I said, there's many things that affect pollination. Boron is only one of many.
0: <laughs> All right. So um, another follow-up question is, at what levels in the soil would toxicity be a concern?
2: Okay. So uh, a boron test, we, we, um, what we use is it's called a hot water extractable boron. So that's the test that I'm basing this on. And anything greater than um, one part per million is what we kind of say. That's the cutoff. If you're below one part per million, then there's a probability of response. It's above one million boron. There is, you know, the probability of response is lower or low. So in terms of toxicity, um, if you start uh, dealing with pounds per acre, um, you're probably going to see toxicity once you're in that five to 10 pounds per acre on sensitive crops. So if you have hot water extractable boron, that's say five parts per million. If you could do the conversion to pounds per acre, you might see some toxicity on sensitive crops. Then, But that's kind of the range. Normally, we don't see levels that high, but if you're over-applying, if you do an over-application, you might see that. Generally, the, the cutoff is one part per million, and you do that conversion, that would be two pounds per sufficient. Oh, you're muted.
0: <laughs> I don't think this is a question, but Ron just weighed in and st- about the pollination discussion and said that for some vegetables um, where you're growing the fruit specifically, so tomatoes, peppers, as opposed to like lettuce, the plant may look okay, but if the level is low enough to affect pollen tube growth, then the yield will be compromised. Right. So
2: That's true. Yeah. Yep.
0: All right. Well, it looks like we don't have any questions left. Do you have any final thoughts you want to leave us with?
2: Um, well, um, I guess I would just say that uh, yeah boron's an interesting element uh, <laughs> a nutrient and um, there are things that we know about it for sure there's some things that we don't know but um, I, it, and, and I think because of that people are using it for a lot of purposes that um, you know may be valid <laughs> but Maybe
3: not. Okay. Um, I I, I, just, I would just say thanks to everybody for participating. Sorry I didn't have more specific, specific information, but I guess um, I, I'd, I'd pay more attention to using boron for nutrition and disease at this point.
0: All right. Well, thank you both so much for joining us. This was a really helpful and interesting discussion. Um, much more specific than we typically <laughs> go, but I learned a lot. So I appreciate yeah. your time.
2: Um, yeah, ben, do you want to introduce
0: and, what's coming up?
2: Yeah, and thanks for the invitation, by the way.
1: Of course. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too as well, Natalie, and, I, and I'm and i sure our listeners did too. Um, <clears throat> next week we'll be on the same time, um, same place. Um, our topic will be... Um, Biostimulants we're hoping to have a biostimulating discussion, and one of our guests, we hope to be um, Matt Kleinhens. That's another suite of products that microbially derived that we maybe don't always understand. so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, you can email any questions that you might have about biostimulants to Great Lakesvegwg at gmail.com. Um, And I wanted to acknowledge that this production is supported by the North Central IPM Center. And today's episode is sponsored by the letter B. B is for boron and it boosts bodacious buds of blooms, blocks blackheart and beets, and builds beautiful brassica branches. So if you ever look at a periodic table, remember the letter B and what it does for you. Well, thank you very much, Carl, Dan, and Natalie. I I enjoyed our time today with you.
2: Very good. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs)
1: Thanks.